Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, 7 to 16 will be our verses for the morning. Now, we turn the page when we turn to chapter 4, and we made mention last time that the transition Paul made, some had described as from belief to behavior, from doctrine to duty. Some even said he went from explanation to exhortation. And we're going to find another transition in our text this morning, even though we just had one some seven verses ago. And that is Paul is going to turn from the subject of all of us to each of us. So he's going to talk about each of us as individual Christians. Now, I think there's all times where we come to church and we think of people who needed to hear that message. Well, guess who that people is today? It's each of us. All of us need to hear what Paul is writing about here this morning that the Spirit inspired. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we timed our or titled our time One Way, and we made three observations from verses 1 through 6, and they were, the sins that condemned us are not part of our new calling. We also found that Satan kicks us when we're down, and we're not supposed to help him. We are supposed to lift each other up, not kick each other when we're down. Amen? Yeah. And we also observed that one way to heaven takes the guesswork out of getting there. We don't have to figure out if we pick the right way because there's only one way and it's through Jesus. Listen, we found there's only one way for all of us to behave and that is to repent of our sins and to walk in newness of life. That's what the Bible says. There's only one way for us to treat each other and that is with love. And there's only one message for any church in any age to be preaching to a lost and dying world, and that is that Jesus is the one way that you can get to heaven. Amen? Amen. Now Paul said, as we read last time, I therefore, in 1 to 6, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk, a metaphor for living your life, worthy of the calling with which you were called. Then he describes it as being with lowliness and gentleness or meekness, with long-suffering or patient endurance, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then he said this, and some believe, as you, if you remember, this may have been part of something recited by the church or part of a hymn. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Now, we also noted last time that we are to endeavor to keep the spirit, uh, the unity of the spirit, not the spirit of unity. People today are saying, you know, we just need to all get along. It doesn't matter if we don't believe the same thing. Yes, it does. It matters what we believe. And there are doctrines that are immutable and unchangeable, and we are to hold them fast up until the end. Now, Paul did not say, and the bond of peace, but he said, and the bond of peace, indicating that the bond that we have is something that cannot be broken, is something that is unchangeable, no matter how much man tries to change it in these last days. Now, we made the illustration through two siblings. Maybe a brother and a sister, or two brothers or two sisters, whatever the arrangement. They become estranged from one another after a disagreement. They may not agree with each other. They may not even see each other for extended periods. But these things don't change the fact that they are siblings. And the same is true of us. Distance can't change us. Disagreements cannot change that we are family. Even though we may be a dysfunctional family, we are family nonetheless. Amen? Amen. Now... Paul is going to address the fact that as the one body of Christ, 
that this is not a uniformity, that we all have to look the same, act the same exactly, but rather that there is a wonderful diversity within the one family of God that he has made through Christ Jesus. Now, I will say this morning, many of you, if not all of you, are going to be familiar with this title, and I have to say it'd be a really good book title. As a matter of fact, I think it'd be a great title for a devotional book. Because it is. And our title this morning is Bodybuilders. Bodybuilders is our title this morning. And our text is going to open with the fact that God has gifted us individually and that he has gifted us so we can build up the body of Christ. Peter put it like this in 1 Peter 4.10. As every other person has received a gift... Who's, who's received gifts? Each one. All of us have gifts. And since we have received gifts, minister it to one another as good stewards or caretakers of the manifold grace of God. Now the question for any Christian in any age, in any church, is not do you have gifts of the Spirit, but rather are you using your gifts to build up the body of Christ? Because that's what they're for. Now, I don't know what my gifts are. It may be a common statement among Christians, but we're going to find this morning the answer is not as complicated as we often make it. So today we're going to learn the importance of how to be bodybuilders from our text this morning. So are you ready for a good workout? Yeah. All right, stand with me, please, and read our opening verses, Ephesians chapter 4. We'll look at initially verses four or 7 through 10 and then move down through 16. Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 10. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first ascended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And Lord, we pray that you would fill us today. We thank you for the indwelling of your spirit. We pray that we would leave with the overflowing of your spirit. Lord, building each other up and telling other people about Jesus. Help us to remember our calling and cause this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You know, I was thinking about our topic and our title this morning and you know, I follow a, a dietary plan that's called the slow carb diet. And it's kind of a, a bizarre twist on the normal, you know, the keto, all proteins or the Atkins or any of that. This is you eat a lot of refried beans and navy beans and things like that for six days. And because they burn slowly, you're not hungry. And then you always have to have, according to this diet, you have to have a cheat day, which doesn't break my heart. <laughs> now, I always have a cheat day on Sunday. Because on Monday, I feel like garbage from cheating all day. But there's a psychology to this, obviously. And there's also a chemical reason for doing so. But we had, uh, our family comes over for dinner, often all the kids and grandkids. And they wanted to have Christmas breakfast. And so we had it last night. I don't feel very good today. <laughs> That's why I have my cheat day on Sunday, because who cares what you feel like on Monday? So, But it's important what we put in our system. 
And I was thinking as Pastor Bryce was making the announcements this morning, we study the Word of God around here because if you do anything else at church, you're wasting your time. And all you're going to do is leave weak and confused instead of strong and ready. And we want to leave strong and ready, right? That's why we study the Word of God. And the first thing for us to consider is that while for us the sentence structure may be a bit cumbersome, it reads rather differently in the Greek. But verse 7 tells us that by His grace, gifts have been measured out to each one of us. We each have received a measure of a gift from Christ or multiple gifts. Now, the word measure means a limited portion. Nobody has all the gifts, but we all have gifts. And the Greek word is actually metron, meaning metric, a unit of measure. Christ has measured out gifts for you. He has measured out gifts for me. So what is the unit of measure that Christ uses when he distributes gifts to each of us? And the answer is found in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, one of the two chapters dealing heavily uh, with the gifts of the Spirit in the letter to the Corinthians. He says, Paul writing, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one, consistent with what we just read, we each have gifts, right? Where did we get them from? God, what did we get? We got what was according to his will, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now, we all have gifts. Come on now. We all have gifts. The Bible says we all have gifts. So we all have gifts. Now, here's where we need to dial in a little bit this morning. You can't get a gift because you want it. You get what God gave you, right? You know, he's not Father Christmas. He's not Santa Claus. You don't make a list and say, here's the spiritual gifts I want. And he tries to fulfill your list so you can have everything you want. He distributes the gifts individually according to his will. There's the measure. Now, in 1 Corinthians 12, 37 to 31, 27 to 31, we're told you are the... I told you I ate too much sugar yesterday. I'm cloudy. 12, 27 to 31. Now, you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, similar to what we're going to read in a moment. First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. And then Paul asks the question rhetorically, are all apostles? The implied answer is no. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? So this pretty much eliminates tongues as the exclusive sign that you have the Holy Spirit. Paul says, do you all speak with tongues? The answer is no. Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet, I show you a more excellent way. Now, I think most people would answer when the question would be posed, what are the best gifts? Oh, well, miracles and healings, of course. Those have to be the best gifts. To be a prophet or maybe an apostle, that's got to be the best gift. And the answer is actually the summary conclusion Paul gives after he inserts the love chapter between the two chapters where he's dealing with the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are one of the most controversial topics in the body of Christ today. It has been for centuries. So what does Paul do? In between his identification of the gifts and his uh, description of the use of the gifts, he inserts the love chapter and says, love is the greatest thing of all. And he says this as soon as he finishes chapter 13, pursue love and what? 
desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may what? Prophesy. Desire that you might prophesy. Now, Paul would not contradict himself. God is not the author of confusion. And the best gifts that we are to especially desire is that we prophesy, which would be within the parameters of what are called the communication gifts. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Now, God distributes the gifts to individuals as he wills. Right? As he wills. Can you talk God into doing something he doesn't want to do? Can you talk God into doing something against his will? You know what that means? That means that to go to a school of miracles or a school of prophets or a school of healing won't do anything for you except waste your time if God didn't give you those gifts. Now, the New Testament gift of prophecy means to teach, refute, reprove, admonish, and comfort others via divine inspiration. Did you catch that list? That's what the gift of prophecy is. It has nothing to do with foretelling the future. We already have the whole future recorded for us in the book of Revelation. We know what happens after the rapture. We know what happens during the tribulation. We know what happens during the millennium. We know what happens after the millennium. What else do we need to know? We've got it all, right? We don't need anyone to foretell the future for us. But what we desperately need is someone to teach that refutes, reproves, admonishes, comforts under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Well, there's only one thing that can do that, or one book, I should say, and that's 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. Think about the definition of New Testament prophecy and what is written here. All Scripture, say all Scripture. All Scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God-breathed. Pneumatikos is the Greek word there for inspiration. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. Sounds like you have to have the gift of prophecy uh, in order to rightly divide the word of truth. For instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, speaking of all peoples, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for what? every good work. So obviously, the New Testament gift of prophecy is associated with speaking God's authoritative word, all of which is divinely inspired, and all of which is profitable, and all of it ought to be taught because it will refute and reprove those who are in error and admonish those who maybe have become complacent, and it will comfort others who are afflicted and dealing with with some of the trials and tribulations of life. Now Paul goes on and he quotes from Psalm 68, 18 in verse 8. Now the interesting thing about Psalm 68 is it is a song of victory. It is a song that highlights God operating within the nation of Israel and the victories he had given them. And it includes verses like 12, uh, chapter, or verse 12 rather, where the psalmist says, King of armies flee. They flee, and she who remains at home does what? Divides the spoil. This is what Paul is talking about from this song of victory. He's saying that when Christ conquered death, when he descended into the lower parts of the earth, conquered death, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, he led captivity captive, and he, did, he divided the spoils of victory by giving gifts to his children. 
Now, Paul, the theologian in verses 9 and 10, can't resist doing some theological housekeeping when he mentions that the one who descended, you see the parentheses there, so it's kind of a parenthetical thought on the part of Paul. And he's saying, listen, obviously, if he ascended, that means he first descended, and he descended into the lower parts of the earth. Now, some see this as simply a reference of him veiling his glory and putting on human flesh. Others see it as a reference to the shame that he endured on the cross. I think it's best if we take it as written. He descended into the lower parts of the earth, which is described in Scripture as Hades or Sheol in the Old Testament. And while his body lie in the tomb, his spirit went to Sheol, where believing saints of old were held in Abraham's bosom until Jesus rose from the dead. Listen, no human could be glorified until Christ was glorified first. He had to be the firstborn among many brethren. So there had to be a holding place for the believing dead. Do you expect to see Abraham in heaven? Do you expect to see David in heaven? Well, of course we do. And since they couldn't go to heaven until Christ first descended and then ascended as the firstborn from the dead, then there had to be a place where they were held. And indeed, it was a place of comforts or Abraham's bosom, one of the two compartments in Hades. Now, we spent and paused a little bit of extra time here on a necessity, but let's make a point. Now, I'll be honest with you, it's a little bit sarcastic or maybe snarky, but I think it has to be. You ready for this? Listen, if God said he gave each one of us gifts, then he did. Amen? If God said he gave each one of us gifts, then he did. So if we say, oh, I don't have a gift, what are you saying about God? That he lied or that he was wrong. We all have gifts, right? Now, If God said the purpose of the gifts is to make us bodybuilders, then it is. That's why he gave us gifts. Now, I'm sure most of you know where this is going, but let me just add this before we move to our next point. In James 1.17, we're told every good gift and every what? Perfect gift is from where? From above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of Turning. Now listen this morning. The gifts God gave you are perfectly suited for you. Your gift is the perfect gift because everything that comes from above is perfect. Well, I wanted a different one. Well, you got the one that God wanted you to have, so it's perfect, right? So, as I said, I think you all know where this is going. So the question has to be, can you be a bodybuilder and not work out? Or in our sense this morning in our text, can you build up the body of Christ by not using your gifts? And we'll answer that here throughout the balance of our time. Let's look at 11 through 13. Paul continues and he says, He himself, please note that phrase, critically important. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For, meaning they were given for this purpose the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of who? Christ. Now, the big question for many, as we mentioned earlier, what are my gifts? Well, the answer, in part at least, comes from 1 Corinthians 12, 
4 to 7. We're told there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are diverse differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of who? All. Now, three times we find the English word all in this passage. And the first two times, all in all, is the same Greek word that means every. It is God working in every person and through every person, for it is God who has gifted us all in essence. Now, the third time we find all at the end of verse 7 in the phrase for the profit of all, it's actually a different Greek word. And this time all means to contribute in order to help or for the advantage of others. So God has given us gifts that we can use for the advantage of <coughs> others. Or we can use the gifts he has given to us to contribute to helping other people within the body of Christ primarily. Now, we all have differing gifts. Right? God distributed them according to what? Our list or his will? According to his will. But we all have gifts from God. And all our gifts are for the benefit of others. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 12, even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, he doesn't say you shouldn't be. He says, since you are, let it be for the what? Is it up there? I can see it. You guys can't see it? For the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Now remember, edification is a architectural term. Edifice obviously comes for it, from it rather, and it means to build up, or in our case, to build up the body of Christ. Paul says, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for being bodybuilders that you seek to excel. Now, too many today, and there are huge movements where people are seeking after self-exalting gifts, things that draw attention to themselves, things that make other people say, wow, you must be really close to God. He gave you that. Then you must be a super saint of some kind. Well, listen, we have to remember, you can't get what God didn't give you. And you're not going to get what he doesn't want you to have. And secondly, our gifts can simply be what we're good at. And everybody is good at something. I know people often say, well, I'm just not good at anything. Yes, you are. Stop that. Now, some gifts are more visible, but aren't they all from God? So does the visibility factor matter? No, not at all. Some gifts are manifested in, in incredible ways. You know, I think about what happened with uh, Peter and John at the gate, beautiful, as they passed by. And there's a man who sat there every day begging alms. Peter said, I'm broke. I don't have what you want, but I am going to give you what you need. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, rise up and walk. Man, that had to be awesome, right? <laughs> to see something like that happen. We don't want to downplay uh, miracles and make them seem mundane because they're not. They're amazing. Amen? Amen? Now, but what we have to remember is that all gifts, say all gifts. All, all gifts. gifts are supernatural in origin. They come from God. 
even though in our minds the manifestation may not be as sensational in one particular category or another, but they are no less given by God and they are perfect like everything that comes down from heaven. Amen? Amen. Now, one of the things I think for us to recognize is that there are five different listings of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. You'll find in Romans 12, seven listed there. In 1 Corinthians 12, nine are listed in two different places. You'll see in 1 Peter 4, two listed. And in here in Ephesians 4, we find five gifts from God to the church for its building up to be listed there. Now, there's some overlap between them, but the list basically of individual gifts are 20 in number. And the fact that no two lists are alike tell us that God can do anything he wants. And he can gift in any way he wants, right? But it also reminds us that the gifts of the Spirit are diverse, but always according to God's will and his distribution. Now, the gifts are roughly categorized as miracle gifts, which would be things like miracles, healings, tongues and interpretation. Secondly, they're categorized as communication gifts, which would include evangelism, prophecy, teaching, exhorting. There's also compassion gifts, mercy, giving, serving, helps. And there's also administration gifts, organizing, promoting, and leading. All these are from God, and they are all spiritual gifts. Amen? Amen. Now, the list Paul uses are what God gave to the church for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Now, that tells us that ministry isn't limited to inside these four walls. The primary ministry of the church takes place when we leave, right? Yeah. We're here to get equipped, and once we're equipped, we leave and we minister. We minister to the lost, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I said something uh, in this uh, conference in Las Vegas. One of the pastors came up to me afterwards, and it shook him up a little bit, but he said, you know what, it's true. And we often sell ourselves so short. And I said during my message, listen, people say, well, the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. It's not a hospital. The church is not a hospital. The church has an infirmary, but it's not a hospital. And the reason we need to say that is because when you're in the hospital, you can't be on the battlefield. And when you're in the hospital, you are doing what? Recovering. What are you doing for other people? Nothing. The focus is on you. The church certainly has an infirmary. The church has a portion of it that's at the hospital. But this is the barracks where briefings take place to equip the army of the Lord to go out and change the world. Yes. That's why we're here today, to be equipped for the work of ministry. And God has gifted us for that ministry amongst the lost and perishing as we minister to one another because we love each other like family. Now, first he says, he gave, he himself, he himself, God's choosing again, his will again, gave some the gift of apostleship and some as prophets. Now, we talk about this quite a bit, but let me remind you again that there is a group today, a rather large and growing group. As a matter of fact, it's the fastest growing segment of the church today, and that is people who are appointing each other as apostles and prophets. Well, listen, Jesus does the appointing, period. No human being can tell another human being that you are now, because I lay my hands on you, an apostle or a prophet. And that action alone proves that they're not true. Amen? Amen? Yeah. 
Now, secondly, we remember from chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the what? The household of God. You're God's family, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Now, the foundation of the church is Christ. He is the cornerstone. The apostles and prophets were connected by him and therefore to him. And think about just general basic construction practices. When you build the foundation, do you build another one on top of it? Or you do you start building the rest of the facility or structure on top of it? Do you build the foundation last? No, you build it what? First. He gave first apostles and prophets, with Christ being the cornerstone. Now listen, the Bible says nothing about a last day's group of apostles and prophets who will usher in the return of Christ by taking dominion over the world. The Bible says nothing about that, and if the Bible says nothing about it, I want nothing to do with it. Amen. Now, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 reminds us that God, who at various times and in various ways, spoke when? In time past. To the fathers by the prophets. Has in these last days spoken to us by his son. This indicates that the age of the prophets is over uh, after the Apostle Paul, whom he appointed, or actually the Apostle John the Beloved. He is appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. Now, the age of apostles and prophets is past. It is the foundation of the church. Jesus himself anointed and appointed this group, of which Paul was the one born out of due time, or the last. Now, that doesn't mean, listen close now, that doesn't mean the gifts passed when the apostles passed. Because if you think about the sheer volume of content and time Paul took to address the matters of the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, why would he be talking that uh, to a group about something that had nothing to do with them if it's only apostles and prophets who can perform the, the gifts, including the sign gifts? Listen, the gifts are for today. Amen. Amen? And to me, it's just bizarre. I hear people say, you know, they're cessationists and, you know, the gifts passed with the apostles or when the canon of Scripture was complete, uh, you no longer needed anyone who had the gift of prophecy and all these other arguments that are made. Well, listen, if that's true, then that means every pastor is giving speeches instead of speaking under this, the authority and spirit and direction of God. Listen, the gifts haven't passed, Right? If you don't have the gifts, then how are you going to build up the body? Right? Doesn't even make any sense, some of these arguments today. Now, I think one proof text or proof mention, I think, in and of itself, uh, eliminates any argument against it, and that is God has given to the church evangelists. Now, the word simply means a preacher of the gospel. And in Mark 16, 15, one of the two records of the Great Commission, uh, Matthew 28, 19 is the other. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature until John the Apostle dies. No. This is to us all. Isn't the Great Commission for all of us? So we're all evangelists. Right? 
we're all supposed to preach the gospel. Yet the mention of it here among the gifts that Paul is addressing indicates that there are those who are specially gifted in this area. But even that is for the building of the body of Christ that they have this gift. Now, listen, let me just say this. And anybody who truly uh, has this call in their life would agree, agree 100% with this statement. You ready? I heard one yes. It's common to just say yes. There's no such thing as a great evangelist. There's just a great God who has gifted a person with something he wants them to do for him. And anyone who is an evangelist would absolutely agree with that statement. There's no such thing as a great evangelist. There's just a great God working through them for his own glory and the saving of perishing souls. He himself gave those gifts, so he himself gets the credit and glory. Amen? Amen. Now, Psalm 34, 2, King David said, My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Then he would add in Psalm 44, 8, In God we boast all day long and praise your name forever. And Paul would write to the church in Galatians six fourteen. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, Paul next pairs together pastors and teachers. Now, it is true that every pastor needs to have the gift of teaching, but not every teacher is called to be a pastor. But they share the same purpose within the body of Christ, and none of their gifts are anything they can take credit for. I told you before, when I was in uh, junior high in particular, and, and obviously it was something that I didn't like, and I didn't like it a lot, because I still remember it today, and I have been in junior high for, geez, 10, 15 years now. <laughs> Giving oral book reports was the most frightening thing on the face of the earth for me to do. I was absolutely terrified. I didn't want to get up and stand and talk in front of people. So what did God say? Guess what your calling is going to be? <laughs> Giving book reports every single week in front of people. You know, sometimes it's a natural for us. Sometimes God has to coax us into it. But it's still him who gives the calling and the gifting. Amen? Yeah. Now, we are here to practice our gifts within the church and to minister to one another. And all, no matter what our calling may be, we still share that same familial relationship. We are of the household of God and he equips us as, all, as saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. And the ultimate goal, Paul says here, is the unity of the faith and an increased knowledge of the Son of God and to embrace the measure of fullness that we have in Christ. That's why he would tell uh, the church of Colossae that you are complete in him. Now, here's our next point. Let's pause for a moment. All spiritual gifts are for God's glory and the good of the church. All spiritual gifts are for God's glory and the good of the church. I was talking with someone who was visiting the church uh, recently, and they came to me and said, you know what, can I ask you something? I said, sure. And they said, well, I have a, a ministry at the church that I've been assigned to and that I've been overseeing for some time. And the pastor came and told me, well, I want to change the schedule of these things that you oversee. And it was going to have an impact on many families. And he said, I asked the pastor, why do you want to change that? And he said, because I'm the pastor and I said so. He said, is that okay? 
My answer was, I don't think so. I think somebody forgot that they're a pastor because God called them, not because of something special. Amen? Now, there was no offering. And if that question were posed and there was a legitimate reason, then that legitimate reason ought to be shared, right? Like, oh, we got a scheduling conflict. Well, we, we've got this new ministry coming up. We're going to have to shift things around. Sorry for the inconvenience, but this is how we're going to have to do it. And, you know, you just didn't know. Not just, yeah, because I said so. I don't think that's quite the shepherding of the flock that God wants us to practice. Amen? Now, in Colossians 3, 23 to 24, we're told, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve who? The Lord Christ. Now, Peter and Paul have exhorted us to use our gifts because, at least in part, there's a reward for doing so and therefore a consequence for not doing so. And the consequence is not losing your salvation since that was a free gift of God anyway. By grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of works. Amen? Now the consequence is not God not receiving glory and you not doing any good for the church and the lack of rewards in heaven. Now listen this morning. You ready? If God gave you the gift of administration or organization, it's for God's glory and the good of the church. If God gave you the gift of miracles, it is for God's glory and the good of the church. If God gave you the gift of compassion, it is for God's glory. There's a pattern developing here. It is for God's glory and the good of the church. If God gave you the gift of evangelism, it is for God's glory and the good of the church. You ready for this one? Buckle up. Here it comes. If God gave you the gift of making money, it is for God's glory and the good of the church. A little more enthusiasm there. It's a touchy subject, but you know what? It shouldn't be. I mean, how ridiculous. Everything you got, you got from God. So how are you going to lay claim to any of it being yours? Well, I earned it. Oh, really? Who gave you a brain in the back? God did. Who gave you the abilities to do any of these things? Listen, everything we have comes from God. Amen? If, you, if God gave you the gift of hospitality, it is for God's glory and the good of the church. This is what bodybuilding in the church is all about. Now in Matthew 6, 1-4, Jesus said, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise you have what? No reward from who? Your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have, the glory from, have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their... It's only earthly and temporary. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, keep it in secret. That your charitable deed may be done in secret, and your Father who sees you in secret will himself reward you. How? Openly. Listen, no one can take credit for anything they have been given because they've been given it. And given it by God. But we have the responsibility to use what we've been given for God's glory and the good of the church. That's what bodybuilding is all about. Amen? Amen. Now, let's look at 14 to 16 and we'll wrap up our time. 
that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, this is why the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry is mentioned here, why it's so important. Because there's always some fad floating through the church. There's always something trending in the church. One of the more recent fads was something called spontaneous baptisms. People getting baptized in their church clothes. Coming to church, getting saved, getting baptized either in the sanctuary, during the service, or after the service. Now, listen to this. The church where this all began, it's in North Carolina, the church where this all began sent out a memo to all their campuses and other like-minded churches about how to start a spontaneous baptism. I'm sorry. How to start a spontaneous baptism? Listen, I read this myself. The memo said, place 15 people in high visibility strategic positions around the church. Have them come forward slowly from the farthest parts of the room so the maximum number of people can see them to encourage others to follow. That's what the memo said. Apparently, like everything else, spontaneous now has a new definition. Sounds more like coaxing or manipulation, doesn't it? Now, Paul says when pastors and teachers do their job, the body is built up and protected from all the winds of doctrines that blow through the church. He adds that these doctrines are cunningly crafted by deceitful men who want to trick people into becoming their followers. He says, instead of that, speak the truth in love, which will allow you to grow up in all things related to being part of the body of Christ. Now, Paul uses an illustration, I think, that probably points out the fact that Dr. Luke traveled with him frequently during much of his ministry, as there were some most likely conversations about anatomy that Dr. Luke taught Paul, and Paul uses metaphors related to the joints and ligaments that allow for the function of the body uh, to move and to illustrate his point that the church operates as a unit. We are one body, amen? We are the body of Christ, and all the gifts are united in their purpose, and every part does its share. Every part has its role and function within the body. Now, Paul would say, this is a bit lengthy, but we need to read it all. In 2 Timothy 2, 14 to 21, Paul would tell Timothy, Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord, not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of the truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more what? Ungodliness. And their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection has already passed, and they overthrow the faith of some. And they get people off course. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord, uh, name of Christ, depart from what? Iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. 
speaking of the functionality of those vessels. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Isn't that why we come to church? To be equipped for the work of ministry? All of them, right? Now, what Paul is saying to Timothy and Ephesus is not to waste time chasing the latest fad that's blowing through the church, but rather be diligent to present yourself approved to God through rightly dividing the word of truth. That's why we study the Bible. Amen? Amen. In other words, be a bodybuilder, not a weakling like Hymenaeus and Philetus, but set yourself apart for service to the master prepared for every good work. Now, here's our last point for the morning. And then I'm going to give you some tough stuff. <laughs> Benefits and reward only come from doing what you know, not knowing what to do. Benefits and rewards only come from doing what you know, not knowing what to do. Listen, can you get ripped by reading magazines about bodybuilding? Don't you actually have to go to the weight room? In order to build up your body, reading the magazine is not going to help you. It might teach you some techniques or things like that. But you're going to have to lift weights to get buff, right? Where did you go? Right? Yeah. Now, the same is true about us. If we're going to be bodybuilders, we can't just read it. We have to do it. Now, here's, here's the tough stuff. And I'll be honest. You guys know I love you. Boy, how's that for a preface to a statement? Now, I read a comment by, there's some guys that I, if they, if they wrote on it, I'm going to read it. And this is one of my go-to guys. And he made a comment that as soon as I read it, I said, man, I would never, ever say that. And as I started wrapping up um, what I was preparing for the message today, I was hit with the overwhelming sense that I need to say what he said. And I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit to incorporate our title into it. But it aligns with what we're talking about today. And this is tough. I'm telling you in advance, this is tough, but it's true. Does the Bible say tough stuff? Okay, here we go. Are you ready for this? Here's what he said. Only half of the people in any given church are bodybuilders, and the rest are in sin for doing nothing. Only half of the people in any given church are bodybuilders, and the rest are in sin by doing nothing. Now, does the Bible say God has given to each one of us gifts? Yes. Does the Bible say we are to use those gifts? Yes. Does the Bible say the gifts are to be used for God's glory in the building up of the church? Yes. Who wrote the Bible? God. What do you call it when you don't do what God said? Sin. Sin. Now, we need to remember that all spiritual gifts are service gifts. We are to serve one another. Right? All the spiritual gifts, no matter what they are, they are service gifts. This is their purpose. They're not given for selfish usage. They're not given to exalt any human being. They are for the express purpose of exalting the name of God and serving the body of Christ. Now listen, Jesus, you guys okay? I'm still talking. Matthew 25, 14 to 21. Jesus said this, For the kingdom of heaven, this is a parable, it's like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. We've received his goods, right? In the sense of his, he's divided the spoil with us through giving us gifts. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his what? 
own ability. Again, there's where the gifts come into play. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded them and made another five. And likewise, he who received the two gained two more also. But he who received the one went and dug it in the ground and hid the Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought the other five talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents beside them. And the Lord said to him, well done. Don't you have to do well to hear well done? Yeah. Good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things, and I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now the same thing was said to the one who took two and made them into four. And the one who did nothing with what the master gave them had what he was given taken from him and given to the one who'd done the most with what he had, or the one who already had ten. Now in Luke 19, the parable of the minas, and a mina is simply 300 shekels. So obviously it's talking about what we do with our finances. The nobleman in the parable did the same kind of thing, and upon his return, asked those to whom he had given a mina, ten of them, what they did with what he gave them. And the nobleman's response was the same as the one in the parable of the talents. The one who did nothing with what they were given had it taken from them. Now, someday, when the Lord asked what I did with what he gave me, I want to be able to say, I brought you glory and built up the church. You gave me things, responsibilities, and I took them and used them to bring you glory and build up the church, Master. Because what I want to hear from him is, well done, good. Don't you? Isn't that what you want to hear? Now, now listen, here's why I, I really felt kind of an unction of pressing or pushing of the Holy Spirit to say this. You might be thinking, you're trying to guilt trip us into serving the Lord. Yep. <laughs> Guilty. Absolutely. But the reason that I'm saying that is because you're going to regret it if you don't. Amen. And what is my desire even beyond that is not that you are guilt trip into serving the Lord, but rather you feel like you want to or you get to. And you serve him not from obligation, but from adoration as a response to everything he's done for you, everything he's done for me. And I say this with a sense of urgency because we're running out of time. Yeah. Things can't get, I, I know they've been saying this for decades, but now we're there. Now we can say it with authority and actuality. Things can't get much worse. Amen. Right? Yeah. People are so stupid. Or, or, uh, <laughs> confused today. They can't tell a boy from a girl. And these are people in places of power. And listen, if you're that messed up, you probably ought to be in a facility. Not on Pennsylvania Avenue. So, okay, there I said it. Now, but that's where we live, right? Man, the world is just a mess and we're running out of time. And listen, if I could... Uh, I was just thinking, I was thinking, it just popped in my head. I was thinking about Billy Sunday, how many of his sermons I've read, and, and just what a passionate preacher he was, being, uh, having been saved out of drunkenness and debauchery and all those things, things I can identify with. He would plead with people at the end of his sermons, please come meet my Jesus. And that's what I'm saying to you this morning please serve 
our Jesus. We're going to be in heaven together for a long time. And I want to hear, and I know you do too, well done, good and faithful servant. Doesn't that in and of itself imply that we ought to be doing? Have we been gifted to do? What is the purpose of our gifts? To glorify God and build up the church. Let's be bodybuilders. All of us. You have gifts. I have gifts. Let's not spend our life wishing we had a different gift. Let's take the gift we have and use it for God's glory and the benefit of the church. Amen? Amen. Father, again, we're so grateful this morning for this time and and the clarity that we can receive about this oft-debated issue, Lord, regarding the gifts of the Spirit and how to know and what to do. And Lord, thank you for simplifying it for us. And thank you for this uh, reminder, convicting reminder, Lord, that it is possible to be in the body and do nothing for the body or your great name. And Lord, I pray that that is no one's testimony who is within earshot of what we're talking about today. And Lord, may we remember what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do when he came, and that is convict the world of sin. And thank you that you do, Lord, take us to task at times and and call us on the carpet and all the other colloquialisms we use today to get us going again, get us motivated again. And Lord, I pray that we would live the rest of our days until you come under the directive you gave us to do business until you come. Your business, not ours. So help us, Lord, to be bodybuilders in these last days, to exalt your name and build up the church. And Lord, may it all happen for your glory and God, I pray that you would give clarity to any who are searching. Lord, this is a question that's been asked more times than can be numbered. I don't know what my gifts are. What are they? So, Lord, I help. I, I pray that you would help those uh, with that searching question. And just look at their life and see what it is they're passionate about and good at, and that they would do that for you. And you would make their gifts known to them. We thank you, Lord, for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.